gentlemen, welcome to the most electrifying must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. Welcome to FFC. I am your incorrigible host, Damian Ellinghouse, accompanied, as always, by good friend and lover of watching the slow decay of democracy. Oh, okay. Ryan Doyle. How are you, sir? I am watching the slow decay of democracy. How are you doing? What did you think I was going to say? The Islanders. What did you think I was going to say? The Islanders. I thought you were going to make a, an, an Islanders joke there. Why would, or make an, why would I make an Islander joke? How? What, what Islander joke would I have even made there that started with slow and decay? Slow. Everything describing the Islanders. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's not exactly trap era uh, devils gameplay that although uh you want to talk about slow i guess we could talk about the stanley cup finals which finally has a little bit of yeah. intrigue to it at least well like i told our good friend travis yesterday it's either going to be the uh the, the montreal's either going to get swept or it's going to be the greatest comeback in stanley cup history so time will tell we are one game down that path uh, I certainly hope it's the greatest comeback in NHL history. So, you know, let a, let, a, let a Canadian team win it. Why not? It'll be known as La Revanille, the comeback. Ah. Uh, that's what I'm, if, if it happens, I'm, I coined that first. Fuck Justin Trudeau. I did it Very first. Very nice. <laughs> uh, so, we are on the precipice of. Uh, a somewhat return to normalcy. Uh, this week's AW Dynamite Road Rager, as they are calling it, as it is one of the 75,000 uh, non-pay-per-view events AW likes to run now, I guess, uh, will be the first one that they go back on tour. We've got Money in the Bank going to be uh, at the Dickies Arena in Texas on July 18th, the first uh, WWE show since Mania to be held, and uh, they'll be touring after that as well. Um, New Japan looks like it's coming out. You know, it'll have the wrestling Wrestle Grand Slam happening soon. Impact Slam Anniversary happening possibly the same week and as Money in the Bank right before July 17th. Uh, that's going to be their first live show. So we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of return to, uh, live shows for, uh, the major promotions and the indies have been doing that for a little bit now as well. Uh, you know, beyond and, and, uh, GCW have had live fans for a little bit now. So that's a thing. Yeah. Very excited, man. We have a good slate of awesome shows coming up within the next two months and, uh, it's going to be quite. The experience, um, just in terms of getting back in the saddle, who knows what the future will bring in terms of this horrid, horrid virus, but um, at least in our small window of self-doubt, we have wrestling back with a live crowd. That's right. And, and actually, you know, Wrestle Grand Slam, that's in Japan, but the first ever New Japan Strong show that will be held in front of uh, a live audience. That's going to be happening August 14th. It's called Resurgence. And that's going to be a big deal because you're going to see Jay White uh, 
with the Never belt, probably defend it there. You might see uh, a Moxley U.S. Heavyweight Championship belt defense. Uh, you're going to get, you know, the strong champion Tom Lawler, the Good Brothers, uh, and that's going to be the first show the Good Brothers, uh, Anderson and Gallows, have been on in New Japan since they and AJ left back in 2016. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's a big thing happening. So we figured we would uh, take a little bit of a of a look back and just kind of talk about you know what the major promotions you know the ones at least that that we follow here what they did throughout the pandemic what worked what didn't and uh, if we learned anything from this horrible awful no good very bad time in all of our lives. So uh, an episode like that deserves a drink or two. So Ryan, what are we drinking today? Well, Damien, uh, I figured we'd do something new this week. Um, are you familiar with the timeless classic Mad Men? Yes. Are we, are we slamming something out of a highball glass here? Yes, we are. We, uh, I binged it over the weekend, and I, I got in the mood for some things, so I figured why not do a casual cocktail segment. Okay. All right, so this week... My fellow listeners, set the mood. There you go. Uh, we're going to be making an old-fashioned. That's right. Making? As, if, as in you're going to make it here? I'm going right to make now? it right now, baby. And I will tell you at home just exactly how to do it. So first off, get yourself a nice rocks glass. You know, the standard scotch glass that you would use. And this then is new. you're going to get a teaspoon of sugar. And, uh, you know, any substitute will do if you don't like straight up sugar. You can use brown sugar, Splenda, whatever. But make sure you get yourself a nice teaspoon of that in there. Additionally, and you could use a sugar cube as well. A sugar cube. Probably what you want to use, honestly. Just because, uh, you know, <clears throat> it will muddle it better with our next ingredient. And that will be bitters. And uh, I have ourselves a nice bottle of Bitterman's Bitters. Transatlantic Modern Aromatic Bitters. So we need three dashes, and in case you don't know, uh, three dashes are about a teaspoon each. And then we just want to mix that up. Now, the proper way to do this is with a mortar and pestle, but uh, I am not that douchey, so I just have a teaspoon and water. But yes, the next ingredient will be about a teaspoon of water. Outstanding. And then you just want to mix it up there, or muddle it. As they say. All right. I hope we're all enjoying this special branded content. There here. we go. What's the what's the uh, what's the old bourbon or rye we're using today? Well, first off, we have to add our ice cubes. Now for our whiskey, I have the timeless classic Maker's Mark. There we go. Uh, so yeah, we're going to use two shots for our drink here. Again, if you want a stronger. Cocktail, you can use another shot. You want to be a degenerate like that. All right, so then there's our second shot. And then the last step here. We'll just be mix it up, baby. There we go. Give ourselves a nice stir. And boom, the first casual cocktail and old-fashioned. Outstanding. And in the time he did that, I could have finished both of my drinks here. So, great job. Well, I got... 
Uh, I guess it's apropos then that I have two beverages here since we're we're drinking whiskey. I've got uh, a couple of selections from Dogfish Head. Got beer to drink music too, which is an India Pale Ale with peaches and Mayan sun salt. And then I have the Sea Quench Ale, which is a session sour, blissfully brewed with lime juice, lime peel, black limes, and sea salt. Uh, so just a couple of refreshing selections over here. Um, so now that Ryan has taken half of the podcast to make his whiskey drink <laughs> incorrectly, let's get oh. <laughs> to the nitty gritty, the brass tacks, uh, and discuss some things. So first off, um, the last, Oh, I'm uh, sorry, Damien. I just wanted to mention one thing, something I read mm-hmm. earlier that, uh, okay. it didn't trouble me, but I was sad to hear. Um, just want to extend, uh, extend out well wishes and thoughts to the Funk family. Um, it was revealed over the weekend that Terry uh, Funk yeah. is now in a, uh, in a home for treatment of um, dealing with dementia. Very horrible. Something that almost all of us has gone through with a family member. Um, Terry Funk, uh, I'd love to do an episode on him one week, so hopefully we can do him justice. But mm-hmm. uh, just absolute legend. Probably on a lot of people's Mount Rushmore's, uh, but just very sad to hear uh, somebody of his stature should not go down like that. But you know, hopefully he's getting the treatment that he deserves and uh, the peace and solitude as well. So hats off to Terry Funk and God bless him. Yeah, uh, thankfully not dead yet, but definitely one of the most uh, legendary wrestlers of all time. A career that spans five decades going back to 1965 uh so six decades really so yeah just a absolute legend along with his brother dory um and uh their father dory senior um so yeah let's let's hope to hear better news soon uh from the funker um all right so you know like i said since uh since we're doing a little bit of a retrospective here um, we'll touch on current events as we go. So kind of just get into the, the main segment here of it all, which is, you know, so we have been living this hellscape life, uh, specific to COVID-19 for the better part of 13, 14 months now, depending on where you live, a couple places longer. Uh, and it was, of course, in March 2020 that everything really shut down and the Great Pause began and then everything uh, had to f- they had to figure out what to do next. So wrestling did not take that long off, really. A couple weeks at most for most places. Uh, WWE and AEW never really stopped. Yeah, they just kept going. Uh, New Japan had a pause for a while. New Japan Strong was happening before, but... um. Uh, you know, the, the Indies took a big hit, um, you know, they still ran, you know, Beyond was still running shows and everybody was still running shows, but it's, it's really harder on the Indies than it is these big promotions. But there were a couple of notable things happen here. And I guess, you know, we can start by, we'll start with the biggest and we'll talk about WWE, right? So WWE at first uh, for the first couple of months, ran what could only be described as a prolonged Eric Andre-fueled nightmare in which uh, not only were the shows uh, devoid of any sort of uh, crowd noise or piped-in noise, 
Uh, but they also were held holding them in the performance center and showing you just all the empty seats. Uh, right. And you saw some of the weirdest fucking episodes of Raw and SmackDown that you really have <laughs> ever seen. Uh, infamously, the the bit between Stone Cold and Byron, uh, the give me a hell yeah to no one panning out to the empty seats. Uh, really, really something. Um, those were some of the weirdest fucking weeks of wrestling I have ever seen in my life. Like, there's no comparable situation, right? No, everything was out the window. Um, you know, they probably could have said, hey, how about to take a couple weeks off till we figure out something? But no, damn it. You're coming to work. It, it almost looks like, like what a dress rehearsal would be a Monday Night Raw if they had it in the performance center. But I'll give her credit as due. They had to come up with that pretty much in a weekend. So um, certainly provided weird moments. I thought it was going to be like a reset for a lot of the roster, but that was not the case. It was just pretty much complacency for the most part. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. And it was, uh, you know, it was less than a month before WrestleMania 36 was supposed to be at Raymond James Stadium, and instead it was held in the Performance Center, though interestingly still with pirate branding. Uh, you know what's fucking crazy, dude? I think we <laughs> there was some there was some point on here where maybe we weren't that oblivious to things, but I think we had the discussion of like, yeah, so we're on the Performance Center for like three weeks, and then they'll have the the stadium show at the end of March. Mm-hmm. Just how scary. Uh, you know how foolish it was to think that it would have been over that quickly. Yeah, no one, no one knew anything, and you know, two WWE's. So I'm gonna give credit where it's due here with WWE, um, because you're you're throughout all of this, right? And that even that mania had some fucking weird bullshit, but like also had two of the greatest matches ever. Uh, night one and night two, you had the Boneyard match, the final match, we think, of, of Undertaker's storied career against AJ Styles and the send-off of the Good Brothers, as well as the Firefly Funhouse match between The Fiend and John Cena, which was just an absolute fucking masterclass. Um, it was uh, It was weird. It was, you know, you had like Braun go over on Goldberg and you had the coronation of, of Drew McIntyre uh, beating Brock and then also beating Big Show right afterwards. Uh, yeah, it was um, it was a thing. But like, yeah, I will give them credit where it is due throughout the COVID era. WWE has had some of like just just like some bottom tier garbage fucking storylines as always to be expected with them but you also had things like the titan tower money in the bank which was honestly one of the most creative things they have done outside of the cinematic matches that i just talked about in a long time like that was a lot was of fun, fun man to watch i wouldn't i would not hate if they did something like that moving forward you know obviously they're gonna make money it's foolish to think that you know they're gonna do something like that again but I'm down for stupid shit like that, you know? Also, the greatest uh, wrestling match of all time, lest we forget. Oh, yes. Uh, which was, was actually fun, yeah. very good. Yeah. You had a lot of um, 
you had a lot of things like like Edge's first singles match happening in the COVID era. Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley winning their first championships. Um, basically, you know, the Undertaker's retirement match. Uh, almost all of the Fiends run. It's it's it was weird. They occasionally made it work, though. Um, and then, of course, they moved to the Thunderdome in August, uh, which was somehow even more of a hellscape than the Performance Center with the fucking TVs everywhere and the piped in. But, you know, uh, they did. And then they had WrestleMania. I don't know. Overall, like, I don't I, we can't recap every single thing that happened in every single promotion. So let's go this like, Ryan, what are the what are some things that you think worked in this from either like booking decisions or like presentation like what were some things that you think worked well in wwe you know the thunder the thunderdome is what it was uh i appreciated the aesthetic behind it um it just made it more lively for me instead of just an empty arena uh it was a little creative too i'll give it to that it, it was yeah it's creative it's horrific but creative yeah, from a production standpoint, not much changed, you know. Uh, I, no. I don't know. I, I, I expected, like, a great reset on a lot of things, but, of course, I don't know why I thought I thought that. <laughs> but, yep, I mean, you were wrong. We still got shaky cam, probably more to a degree now, now that they, <laughs> they knew where they had to place their cameras and stuff like that. Yes, yes. Uh, I, you know, I mean, if you think about it, not much changed, you know. Um. Uh, my mind is a little spotty, but I mean, in terms of match match performance, you know, I don't think anybody utilized a lot of different aspects of a match that they wouldn't in front of a live crowd. Um, we had the fake crowd noise, which was a, a thumbs down for me. But you know, it's funny in terms of the storylines, it 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 kind of made sense of when people should boo or when people should cheer. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least in terms of the WrestleManias and the pay-per-views, I liked when like uh, Kevin Owens jumped off the WrestleMania sign in the yep, performance that was cool. center. Um, and yeah, that's really about it. <laughs> you know, I, uh, NXT did not suffer as no. much as uh, the main roster did um, because they still had like some live crowd to a degree you know they had like some of the performance center guys and in, in, in the crowd guys and gals and uh stuff like that and then they started bringing back like in your house and and bash the beach and all that and those those are fun or I, great american bash i'm sorry not bash at the beach most of my accolade would be given to nxt because they managed to take the performance center and make it even more of like a badass like landscape for them with the capital wrestling center net that they have yeah <laughs> You know, instead of just putting up like plastic dividers, they put up like chain link fences, and uh, they kind they they went back to like a lot of people. What they were clamoring for was the dark cam instead of like the colorful red and blue bright lights that they have on SmackDown or Raw, kind of yeah. like that old school feel. Um. So yeah, in terms of uh, creativeness and doing things on the fly, I think I think this served NXT a lot better than it did the main roster. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, like I said, there are certain things that did work because like Finn Balor came back with fans, thankfully, but like 
most of his a lot of his reign and then like subsequent run in NXT all happened with no one around, which was a shame. Mm-hmm. But overall, like the you know, the the match between Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole, like the destruction of the Undisputed Era, there was some good shit that happened in NXT. Um so for me, like the Thunderdome didn't work on literally any level. Like, yes, it's better, I guess, than absolute silence, but like I'd even prefer how they did it just like how they do it in Impact where it's piped in crowd noise or maybe people in the back but then just no one because it's it's just uh it's fucking disconcerting and weird. It uh, is a little it is a little unnerving. And like you said like they they really fell back on a lot of their uh worst habits because they controlled everything. Yeah. They controlled every reaction they were going to get. And that's a little bit of a problem with every promotion. That's not a WWE-centric issue. But WWE, it's most noticeable, uh, especially when you got TVs, but like they're not really taking the sound from there. So it's like, if the crowd is reacting to something, you have no way of knowing. And you kind of saw that in WrestleMania, um, how like y- you finally saw what people would react. But even that... People were just excited to be at a wrestling match. So I, yes. now we will see what people actually think works and, and doesn't work. Um, but, I, you know, the cinematic matches were a big plus for me, and, and they, they worked on a lot of levels. Um, and I think that WWE is a little bit at its best when it doesn't take itself as seriously. Let NXT take itself more seriously if that's what you want to do. Main roster WWE a little bit works when it is tongue-in-cheek, which is kind of why those early episodes worked like with Triple H on commentary because they just were like, fuck it, just riff, just go. Do like Cole was lively. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't for what it was as bad as it could have been. I, um, I, I appreciated that to some degree. You know what I mean? Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So, you know, just fuck it. Who cares? Like this, this should have been a time to just do whatever they wanted. I don't think anybody was going to hate on that. Um, certainly with how stale the product has been in the last decade. I mean, like people just having, like it was a time when things are very serious and bleak. So just like, like the triple H thing, just having fun with it. Like I, I appreciated that. And of course getting Romans comeback and like heel turn WWE is now going to go on the road. Yeah. They're going on the road with some of the strongest character work they've had going for in a while now you know roman ha- getting to be in front of a live crowd again is going to be money uh having edge be the first person is going to work i think on a lot of levels you have bianca belair as your smackdown women's champion queen uh you know clean you got you got Rey mysterio and his son as tag champions apollo cruz's new character i like a lot bobby will finally get to be in front of a crowd even though we shouldn't have broken up the hurt business but whatever so like I do think they're operating from a place of strength here, like in terms of their champions and what they got going on. Yep. Um, whether they'll, what, what that momentum will look like, we have no idea. But like, if I had to give WWE a rating throughout the pandemic era, I'd probably say like six and a half to seven, with a lot of that being on like production and storyline quality, which they have just a little bit struggled with forever. And it doesn't matter who has and hasn't been around. Completely fair. I think SmackDown has been the number one show. Obviously, yeah. Raw has kind of been a little better. I mean, it's a very, very low bar. Let's be honest. RK here. Bro is doing a yes. lot of heavy lifting yeah. there. Um, I do not hate the Charlotte and Rhea um storyline as much as other people. 
Um, yeah, there. Uh, uh, Bobby is champion his money for me. So yeah, Raw is, is there's and to their credit, and I will because we're about to go into AEW. The women's division in Raw, they are featuring a lot of people, and like now Nikki Cross has this like interesting like Molly Holly situation going on, or like Hurricane gimmick. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like I think that WWE is entering a moment where like maybe we could see some positives here, but. Until they change the production values and, like, mm-hmm. until they fucking take Dunn away from the truck, I feel like I'm never going to get above a seven for them because I just, it's so unpleasant to watch sometimes. And you know what it is? I think they're just fine with that, honestly. Um, I think they were, I think I'll give them credit for picking up the bootstraps in the last month or so preparing for this because it's not like they're just like, ah, well, fuck it. Let's just see what happens when the crowd comes back. Um, very smart to start off at a pay-per-view with a live crowd. Uh-huh. Uh, you'll see some some great great crowd reactions during that match. So that's that's what I hope. You know, I think the crowd is gonna be hot. Um yep. so I hope WWE has the ability to play off that. Like, you know, as we saw with Raw at the WrestleMania, you know what I mean? When Vince came out and like you had the the whole smart crowd chanting the uh his theme song and he was like all right, but he was like he was like playing it up like that. So just have fun with it, you know. Make sure yeah. that, make sure that the next month, because the crowning moment here for the comeback is going to be SummerSlam in Las Vegas at the beautiful yeah. new Raiders Stadium there. So, um, you know, that's almost going to be WrestleMania for the year. I feel. Oh yeah, I mean, in terms of the, sure, absolutely, and that's um, going to be a great show. And the card looks great so far. You know, you got Bianca Bailey three, which like, while I can understand, you know, why, you know, why is, why do we need to do this over and over? Why did Hell in a Cell not finish it off? Whatever. Uh, they've been money so far. This is going to be an I quit match. I always am a sucker for I quit matches. Um, you know, Roman versus Edge is going to be incredible. Uh, like I said, I don't hate Rhea and Charlotte's storyline as much as other people do. I like nuance in my stories. So I think that this has potential Bobby versus Kofi. I'm all in on. Yeah, I'm fucking yeah, happy dude. that hell Kofi fucking, is yeah. getting that fire. Uh, his Bobby's match versus Xavier was really good in hell in a cell as well. So like I'm, I'm here for that. Doesn't matter that Kofi is obviously not winning. Like I'm here for that match. Uh, and in the money in a bank matches, Oscar versus Naomi versus Alexa bliss versus Nikki cross versus Carmella versus Selena Vega, who came back recently and two more to be discussed. And, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of great names on there. Um, Alexa's thing. It'll be interesting to see how that goes over on a live crowd. But great to see Bailey and Asuka prominently featured as two of the people that should have been here the whole time. Like they're two people that that um that really carried WWE through the pandemic era. So great to see them in a title match or a Money in a Bank match. And Asuka was incredible mm-hmm. in the Titan Tower Money in a Bank. So. Happy to see it. Zelina Vega being back is an interesting little wrinkle, um, being that she initially looks like she was fired for being real pro-unionization, not being uh, happy with her Twitch getting taken down, and then, you know, she gets rehired, she takes down her pro-union stuff, and whatever. I'm not gonna... I I am of the... (laughs) Yes, but I'm also of the... I'm also of the opinion that when you work within a corrupt system and you work in 
this industry that no one is pro union, right? It's not like fucking Cody Rhodes over here wasn't all about unionization until he got his own company and all of a sudden now he doesn't think it could work for anybody. Uh I'm I th- capitalism is not it's not workers' fault for the flaws of capitalism. Like I may think it lacks um character and integrity to some degree, but also like I said like I'm not really going to fault her for the sins of the industry, I think. They're not going to do it on their own, and I will place as much blame on big uh, union groups like the the Actors Guilds, you know, the the Actors Guild Union. That's only who's going to be able to save the wrestlers if they make them uh, as they do. Like, Damien, if you go on Law & Order... And if you have one speaking part in a law and order show, you're a SAG member and you have insurance yes. for the rest of your life. Yes. So until an outside force helps them, they're not going to be able to do it on their own. But uh, that, yeah, that, and you, yeah. Sorry, what are you going to say? No, or or like or a general strike, which really applies to all of America's infrastructure and industry as a whole. Like, and uh, that's its own, you know. You can hear my my leftist takes <laughs> later, but like you either yeah you either need a general strike or you need a big union like that coming in and helping them out. Uh, you know, you would need in WWE you'd need people like Roman Reigns to be like I'm not working until unionization happens and get like a bunch of other top stars. You'd need like John Cena and Roman Reigns and like Seth Rollins and all those folk to like yeah. get on board with that. Uh. So whatever, like she also triggered the shit out of Meltzer for like shitting on dirt sheets and then uh, having uh, (laughs) and then having Meltzer be like, well, well, dirt sheets is such a a dirty word. And what if I said all wrestlers were drug addicts and 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 don't remember that time that I said Latinos are thugs like, you know, like fucking uh, melts melts poppy over here uh, getting real triggered, calling himself the Kenny Omega of of sports. Sports journalism, like I don't know get, if get fucked, bro. I like his 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 regular persona, the, the historian, untouched, number one in the business. He he takes these half measures with his online persona, where it just comes across as fucking weird, man. You oh, know? he's I don't, so unpleasant on I, social yeah, media, dude. To the fact where like Cornette looks like the voice of reason in a lot of things, and I don't know, like. Commit to the character, bro. I mean, Alvarez does it ain't a, great a character. Job. Alva- it Alvarez ain't a character, does- Ryan. No, it's, Ryan. It's, he no, no, really no, 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 thinks on. that he well, like he. Remember when he said calling someone a mark no. is the same as the n word? Yes, remember no, no. that? That was Meltzer. Let me clarify on that. Alvarez, and feel free to disagree here. Does a great job of trolling, right? Oh yeah. So I mean, does- I don't think he legitimately thinks everything he thinks, but like he's also a little bit mm-hmm. of a piece of shit too because he was the one questioning Roman's leukemia. Of like- course. And l- let me clarify this: he doesn't have that same art to that as Alvarez does. And I think sure, he- sure. I think he wants to do that, but he can't, dude. You are the no, sh- he- you are the straight man of the wrestling journalism sphere, a very small s- sphere, I will say, especially with some idiots uh, that question fucking. You know the death of Brody Lee, which you know we won't get into, but I mean, like, and dude. and we're having him on your fucking podcast and defending yeah, him, that and too, man. you know, but just, and like the shit he said about Sable in the '90s, the sh- the ways he's gone after Charlotte, like, this is you very, know what, it's like, weird, it's weird, dude. He, you, I don't think that you, I think that much like Cornette, you can respect their minds for history, you can respect 
their takes, if, depending on if you agree with their takes or whatever. But, like, what do we say on this podcast all the time, Ryan? We say kill your idols. Kill don't fucking, don't put anybody on that pedestal. Yeah. Uh, he's a monster. Whatever. Uh, the other Money in the Bank match, uh, Ricochet, John Morrison, uh, Matt Riddle, Drew McIntyre, Big E, Kevin Owens, Cesaro, or Seth Rollins, and then Nakamura or Baron Corbin with Nakamura now being King Nakamura and Baron Corbin maybe going maybe for face. a face turn? Maybe face, babe. Um, uh, I, that's going to be great. That's going to be a oh, it's, great There's match, a dude. lot of good... First off, Ricochet and John Morrison had that match that ended in a, a double countout where like Ricochet cross-bodied him off the fucking top rope yep. over the barricade like and that was the main event of the first ever lucha underground match prince puma versus johnny mundo and it was incredible uh of course drew's gonna be here it doesn't matter whether i want him there like of course he's gonna be there i'm all in for my boy biggie uh and you know fuck it yeah it's gonna be a great match but whatever we're almost 40 minutes in here or so so we'll, we'll we'll get moving but either way wwe is entering with a little bit of momentum money in the bank is the right pay-per-view to come back on and we will see whether the return to live audiences um will result in them changing some of the shit they do or not my money is probably not but you know what let's let's see let's see let's they just don't have fun don't, with it i don't think they've earned our um Oh, let's see what happens. Like, I don't think they've earned that, but they've got some things that really work right now. And I'm interested. Uh, of course, the second biggest story you have to talk about here is AEW because AEW has spent more of its time without a live paying audience than it has with one. Um, and look, you, I don't see really, you know, you can talk about the ratings when they move to Saturdays or how they don't consistently break a million, like a TV ratings, like, We've said this before. We're not fucking TV execs. We don't give a shit. We're not going to pretend to know anything about it, but they don't sign a multi-year deal with Turner Media, move to TBS, get all this. Like They don't do shit like this unless Turner is happy with them. Do you see, right? how, do you see like, how dark it's fucking getting here, man? Jesus Christ. Oh, the thunder. Yeah, the, the, the thunder the rolling in. Uh you know what, man? I think they, they were happy with the number that they did with Kenny Omega and Jungle Boy. And AEW still has that culture of Saturday Night Wrestling that WCW did and Jim Crocker Promotions. Because Saturday was, was the night, baby. They, like, it, 605 on the mothership. Like, that was mm-hmm. Saturday Night Wrestling. They're fine. They're, they're fine. Like, we they're more than fine, we honestly. We don't have to speculate that. They're very happy with it. They have great ties in with their other programming. Uh, Turner Sports now has the NHL coming next year. So that, that's another major media empire to start tying the show into. They did a great job with Shaq uh, and the Inside NBA crew, which a lot of people are a fan of. Jesus Christ. Listen, and- <laughs> they're not getting a second. They're getting a second show. right? And Saturday, like you said, worked a lot better than the Friday death slot, which like I'm not surprised they barely broke 500,000. Like, yeah. why? I'm, I wasn't watching that shit, and I fucking love that product. So, yeah. But I don't see how you'll look at the last 14, 15 months of AEW's career of life, and you don't see massive success. In the wake of not having paying fans, all of their buy rates for pay-per-views were, like, you know, consistently mm-hmm. higher than the ones before. Um a lot of, you know, the only things that really suck is, you know, Kenny Omega's reign to this point being 
like straight like the heel turn to the Bucks and uh, and uh and uh you know the elite in general only happening in the COVID era or Moxley's entire reign basically only happening in the COVID era Brody Lee's entire career only happening in that era yeah. there's some real real shames there but man AEW has I'm not going to sit here and say that the product's perfect um because the women's division is a fucking problem again and I said this like a year ago like you are running out of excuses for why your division is this poorly booked. There are so many good workers in that locker room. So many people deserving. And look, I like Nyla Rose. Why is Britt Baker's first feud against Nyla someone who is the only two-time winner? Like, um, what are that, we... I mean, come she's on. A, she's a homegrown star, though. There's so many other no, no, ones, no, no, no. though. I, I understand that, but it's the same. It's the same concept that we have to give to you know me and you are very big fans of Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy, you could say the same thing. There are other people in that locker room who are deserving of that title match, but because it's a necessity to make their homegrown stars, you know, uh, they have to elevate them. I, I'm fine with Nyla Rose. I don't think she's going to win, but uh, you know. That's what they need to do. They need to start establishing their core again because they just had a lot of refugees coming in from other promotions in their women's division. Okay, but what about somebody like Chris Statlander? Who Chris like- Statlander, I'm fine with. Serena Deeb, they should do. Swole, I don't know what. Like, dude, Swole has such a big following on Twitter of her just talking shit. And, like, I think she's hurt, but I also think she's, like, I don't, not necessarily, I don't know. It's There's been, like, something where we're, like, she's having some sort of shit going on but also i think she has had matches on dark like but here's my point right you're absolutely right you're absolutely right it should not be nyla in that position but in terms of building their core that's what they really need to do give fucking jade an early title shot because she's too big for her britches and like let her get embarrassed by Britt or let Britt escape with a win i don't know like i'm not sitting here trying to fantasy book all i'm saying is like they have a lot of good women on that roster and like Sheeta has only shown up on Dark since losing the belt, which is the same thing that happened to Rio after she lost the belt. Like, I understand that Brit is a dentist and, like, has to work and can't be there every single week. And, like, that has its own question about is she therefore a champion you want? But either way, like, my issue is just, like... Is she still working on the side? Yeah. You have to, like, put in a certain amount of hours if you're, like, a practicing doctor. Yeah, that makes sense. It's fucking funny, man. Oh, yeah, it'd be crazy. She's just, like... giant scar on the face it's like yeah. all right let's do this and you're just like hi can i need my crown fixed please <laughs> um my issue is just like but it goes beyond the main it goes beyond the title give me other storylines give me other feuds like i understand oh you only have two hours a night but like I I need something more here. Like I'm glad that the bunny is getting some work. I know Anna Jay was getting some momentum, but like Ty Conti hasn't been around in a while. Like, and I'm not saying there may or may not be extenuating circumstances for some of this, but I think it's a little unacceptable that their division with this many people in it, with this much talent, is struggling for time. And they only and it's only on dark. It's only on elevation. It's only somewhere else, you know, especially after the great like eliminator tournament that they did with the Japanese and American side. Like it's a problem. I'm I think they've run out of excuses for 
it not being a problem. And I need to see more. I do. I, I need to see more than what they are showing me right now and what they have shown me. It That's got better fair. for a little bit. It's not there now. And frankly, it's a little embarrassing to me, especially when we have the Cody verse running amok sometimes. <laughs> I think was a, what a big je- detriment to them was uh, they had such a big, like around Revolution last year, they had such a big swell going on their side. And it was a shame for them to lose that. It wasn't their fault, obviously, but you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know. Yeah, 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 for sure. And like, I think they're riding it again. But so this brings us to the same thing with WWE, right? What's worked? What hasn't? Listen, there's a lot that's worked in AEW. Um, the elite heel turn was necessary for storylines to continue for mm-hmm. the building of bigger stars. And so by and large, that's worked for me. Moxley, money. His whole reign was fucking incredible. Uh, his feud with with Omega was great. Um, and AEW has you know, bringing in New Japan talent, going over to Impact, which, like, we'll talk about the side of that with Impact in a second here. But, like, I appreciate talent working in other places. I appreciate the sharing of talent. So, like, that's an inarguable success for the industry as a whole, even if it hasn't always played out the way that we've wanted to. So, like, that's worked for me. Daily's Place has been a very lively spot because of the wrestlers around it, but, like, it does now feel like their home turf and like it, there have been some great moments there, you know, there's some shit. Yeah. There. And, and, you know, let's hope that bigger arenas become their MSG, but right now there's a great energy around there and it's reliable for them. Uh, what's worked for AEW is by and large, I haven't had a ton of like, this is fucking awful booking. Yeah. Um, but things that haven't worked, the women's division, trash, awful, uh, it was pointed out recently that they don't have a ton of people of color in their main event scene and their upper card. And I do think that that is an issue because they don't have a lacking of talent there. And like, I, th- I don't, I think that that's worth, like, I think we shit on WWE for the same shit. And like, I do think you have to talk about that. Um, WD has done a great job, if I will say. They have. They've that. done a really good job for a few years now, honestly. Um, yeah. Miro, Miro right now is like, I can't wait to see him in front of a live crowd. The Redeemer is really fucking working. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, I think that AEW has hit more than they've missed, but the women's division, uh, people of color in the main event, that is an issue. And frankly... They are all pretty goddamn thin-skinned when it comes to criticism, and like oh God, that's are. been on full display throughout this era, and that is a fucking problem. That doesn't work for me. It's a little embarrassing. Yeah, well, we, we, we're no strangers to that conversation with PR Tony coming at coming out of the woodwork again. I did not buy exploding barbed wire. Uh, ropes for the match well you should have man <laughs> come on okay why didn't you though <laughs> yeah. like or or like book something different like just enough stop he did the same thing when bubble ray like he went on um on that podcast with bubble ray dudley and started talking like bubble ray was saying something about um 
tag team rules and like why not call them tornado tags if they're not going to follow the rules and Tony was just kind of like oh, I haven't heard anybody talk about that I think when you watch a Young Bucks match uh, I don't think anybody's asking about the rules when you're watching an exciting Young Bucks match and now frankly I'm not here to talk about it like bro you went on a podcast I understand you just want to like shamelessly plug your shit and that's fine but like it's a valid criticism for people that watch wrestling I'm not saying casual observers are always going to care but like AW does not really cater to the casual audience. That's not their fan base right now. Like no, they cater to the people who complained that WWE was not doing those things. And they precisely. Made a, and it's not like they haven't mentioned this. They they pride themselves on doing it. And they do they do it in some aspects of wrestling? Yes. But they horribly just ignore the other part of it and they expect to be excused. And they're not. In fact, not- there's, there's more eyes on them doing those critical aspects to wrestling than there is WWE. Yes. And in terms of their growth, they got to, they got to stop doing that. I'm not saying they have to hit home runs with every show, but in terms of critical aspects in their matches, you have to go the extra mile. If you want to build an empire, you are branding yourself as like the home for tag team wrestling in, um, in North America. That's the way that AEW has branded itself since they started. We want to be a promotion where tag team wrestling matters. And look, you did that. Tag team wrestling matters in your promotion. A lot of great tags. The tag matches very often main event. They're very often great. But you know what? You don't get to call yourself the place for tag team shit and then ignore critical shit about tag team matches. It's a fair critique. It's one that FTR has consistently said before. And like the little things matter. And... More more so, like, going, it's, I get standing for your company and standing for your, standing for your talent, but, like, when that question comes up, I don't know why your response is, well, I don't think anybody's thinking about that when you watch an exciting Young Bucks match, because that's literally all anyone was talking about during the exciting Young Bucks match, and people still said, mm-hmm. oh, it was a great match. But it's a, it's a fucking problem when you have commentary on your own promotion shitting on the product for being like, wait, they paid off the referee. Then, like, you're acknowledging that it's an issue. So fix it. Yeah. Fix it. Do something about it. You can't just explain everything away as, oh, it's a heel. It's a heel move. Oh, that's just what heels do. Like, sometimes you have to give me more than that. So, like. Big big PR Tony and the Elite. That shit's gotta go. Uh Cody's everything needs to <laughs> stop. He's over with the AEW crowd. I get it, that's fine, but we gotta stop with all of the shit. Uh but by and large, AW has had an incredibly successful yeah, they pandemic. Great. They did great, man. Uh and look, overall, um, you have to critique a product. If you like it, especially if you like it, no one fucking benefits from the circle jerk. It's what killed WCW, um, among other things. Like it's what kills many great promotions before they ever really get off the ground. Like they got to do better in certain aspects, but overall it's a good product. And listen, if your like diehard fan base is like, I will 500,000 people will reliably watch a Friday, a Saturday, a Friday night, 10 PM to midnight throw away dynamite then like listen that's something to talk about like they've got a hardcore fan base that is reliable for them 
And that matters for growth. It does. It matters for consistency for the bottom line. They got video games coming out. So overall, I would probably give AEW a solid 8 out of 10. Things have worked more often than they haven't. Championship reigns and matches have worked and booking decisions have worked more often than they haven't. Um, but there are things that have to be cleaned up. And one thing that I didn't even touch on was like, I love that they have content like being the elite and Sammy's vlog. And I love that they have dark and dark elevation. You need to do more. And we've said this since jump. We said this since jump. You can't expect viewers to know everything going on, on dark and dark elevation and being the elite and Sammy's vlog and that be your sole character development for certain yeah. wrestlers and certain yeah. storylines that like that doesn't work. It can't work. No one has the time for that. And that continues to be an issue. That is something that needs to be improved upon. I think it's great to have this stuff. I love extra content. It, you can't rely on it to the level that they sometimes do. I do hope they get an HBO Max deal or something similar to that because that's that would be a great hub for them to to just house all that material in. So at least if someone does want to follow that and tie it into the storylines, they can at least say, "Hey, we have it all in one platform." You know, I know everything's on, yeah. YouTube, but you know what I mean, like something to tie in along with you to watch the show. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's right. Yeah, they they rely too much on that. Um, Hopefully, Rampage will help with that, right? Because Rampage will likely be your your thunder, your um heat, you know, your velocity show. Um, and hopefully that will help give some spillover. But like I need to see more women on dynamite. I need to see more women main events, more storylines, and I need to see more storylines in general materializing on your weekly product. It's gotta happen. Mm-hmm. It has to. Either yeah. that or you cut down your roster and you stop as many storylines. Like and nobody really wants that, so figure it out. Agreed. Um agreed. To stay in America, uh, Impact. Now, Impact um, is, uh, I've said before, a company that I have not spent any time paying attention to outside of like, oh, yeah, I know like Kurt Angle went there. I know uh, AJ Styles came from there right throughout the years. I never watched TNA. It was not something I watched, but Ryan did. Ryan was somebody that followed that. And now, so Ryan... With what Impact has done, how do you feel about what Impact's done through the pandemic, what they're doing right now? I know you don't follow quite as closely as me, but like in terms of what has, you know, from going from like lull Impact to where we are now, what do you think has worked? Like, do you think anything's worked? What Do you find yourself paying attention to it more? Tell me your thoughts. Well, I mean, something that predates the pandemic was that they were running all their shows on Twitch. And I love that aspect about it. I love the aspect of that. They have a free service for anybody who wants to watch. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, I, it's a great way to, cause you want, you want to grab new audiences, right? And if WWE has one aspect of the TV audience, AEW has another aspect of the TV audience. You want to sort of reach out to, you know, like that's what Impact Asset does. They have to crawl through the mud and see what they can get along the way. Um, if if they build more off of that Twitch platform, you know, even get some of the streamers on there, uh, you know, run with it. Why not? They suffer from, they, because they don't have the ability to have a Thunderdome or a live crowd. You know what I mean? And, um, you know. Does the empty arena really serve for me? Not really. I, 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 I've, in fact, I'm surprised they don't have any live fans back in there. I've been trying to figure out for a while if they like 
have people backstage that they pipe that like that they pipe audio from mm-hmm. in on or if it's just like piped in um crowd reactions because sometimes some of the reactions seem like do they really have a sound for this specific moment so like i'm not really sure but true slamiversary will be when they come back and for what it's worth their buy rates since starting to work with aw have gone up viewership yeah. has kind of like yeah, yeah up and down up and down a little bit but I can only speak for myself and as somebody who who at this point now considers themselves a pretty hardcore consumer of wrestling media there's a lot that impact does that is working for me right now and like do I have issues with some of the booking in the main event yep I don't see and if you're like an impact fan not an AEW fan I don't see how you wouldn't um and impact should be getting more out of AEW than they are. I know you get their champion and it's Kenny Omega, it's one of the bigger draws yeah. outside of WWE and I know that matters and I don't want to pretend that doesn't. It does, clearly, because when he's on a pay-per-view, viewership and buy rates go up and all that shit, but it creates stagnation. It does. It it does. They need to find an alliance with somebody else. Uh I think Triple A would be a great promotion to work with. I know there's some some sort of a language barrier there, but even if it's another American indie promotion, just keep the chain going. You know what I mean? Work work with more people. But in terms of their own roster, uh, I I really like it. I yeah, think and that, you know what? I'm so, go ahead, go ahead. No, let them be the working man's federation. You know what I mean? In a lot of ways, they are because AEW they do try to. And you know what? One thing that I didn't touch on that I really don't like from AEW. And a lot of it's coming from Eddie Kingston specifically, so you take it with some grains of salt, but it's a little bit piled on on by Tony and the like the constant shots at WWE is what it is. It's it happened in TNA mm-hmm. and it happened in WCW and it like that's I I think it's a little bit irrelevant whether you find it annoying or not because it's just like it happens. It always has, it always will. It's only annoying when you have fucking you fuck up and then Tony's like, well, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain because we're better than yeah. WWE. But you, what what you know? does bother me, because fuck WWE. Like, fuck the company. Fuck the people running it. Like, what bothers they me... They are a multi-billion dollar train that's going to keep rolling whether you like it or not. So you can only yes. control your own destiny. Don't waste your opportunities and your airtime, especially for someone like Eddie Kingston. Don't waste it on WWE, man. No, like, but what bothers me is beyond just the the attention to WWE, and it's the the it's like I said, it's specific to Eddie Kingston. It's the idea that the people at WWE did not grind hard enough to get where they were, or they they're only in it for a paycheck, and the locker room culture is nothing like. And look, like maybe that's true, maybe that's not about like locker room culture and all that. I'm not a wrestler, don't exist in these locker rooms. Don't want to pretend that I do, but I have a problem. With a, when you have a roster as big as WWE's, um, I have a problem with that kind of characterization. It's like, oh, well, you went and worked for the man, but this is real professional wrestling. Like, bro, you're fucking play your your shows run right now because the fucking owner of the stadium and the owner of Daly's place owns your goddamn promotion. Like, and also. It's multi-billionaires that run your 
company and the son of a multi-billionaire who was just who has admitted that he was just given like hundreds of millions of dollars to like yeah go fucking like see what happens whatever go fail like that was his go fail money also like like you are not the working man's promotion and i have been saying this since day one like enough enough with the fucking standing because it's not vince mcmahon like you are just the target to walmart bro that's it like am i saying that locker room culture maybe may not you know am i saying that locker room culture isn't different no not saying that it's it's different because it's not wwe it's not as top down as wwe and that affects morale but like enough enough and like stop why are you putting down the fucking talent Eddie wanted to be in WWE at some point. The Elite, absolutely there's a world where they go to WWE if they get the right fucking offer. If if AEW doesn't work out. Like, just, like, enough with this shit. Stop putting down the talent. Like, what are you doing? Also, a lot of your roster worked over there. It's the biggest fucking promotion in North America. In the world. And will work there one day. Let's not. And will work there. Let's not be, uh naive a lot of you think aw isn't gonna roster cut at some point ryan and there will be betrayals we we have said it there there will be a betrayal yes and let's be honest am i gonna be surprised if moxie goes back to wwe one day no the fuck do i know it's where he it's that's where mox like the only reason moxley of today exists is because dean ambrose existed like it's because he left at the height of his powers you know what i'm saying but Mm -hmm. like just just fucking enough like you look at the people it's that are necessary. in the, the upper card of wwe like did kevin owens not fucking pay his dues did Sami Zayn or seth rollins or roman reigns not pay their dues even roman being the fucking cousin of the rock like he didn't pay his dues like enough just just cut the fucking shit it's, it's so shitty yeah i know but and that's, and, and, that's and, why i didn't really get mad at uh, at billy ray like getting pissed off at kingston he's like dude relax yeah, dude, no, no. But, but, but to pivot back to Impact, because I guess once again, Impact being superseded by AEW. We'll, but we'll keep it short and sweet. Like I said, I want them just to focus on because they are the working man's promotion. Try to tie in. I think um, our boy's going over there, correct? Who? Bread Cut for Life. Kojima. Oh, Satoshi Kojima. Yeah, he's been over there. He hey. he had a he had a match for the. Uh, I, was, I thought you said, I thought you said like bright something, and I was I was like I don't yeah bread club yeah. Satoshi Kojima's been well. That was actually one of the things I was going to mention is you know who's benefited from the forbidden door being open far more than AEW honestly is Impact. Mm-hmm. Finjuice were their tag champions. They got Satoshi Kojima over there currently still like. The fact that Impact has a working relationship with New Japan right now is a fucking modern miracle. Considering the history of everything, correct? It's absolutely, it's a modern miracle. And Josh Alexander showing up on New Japan strong, like a lot of Impact talent showing up on the U.S. promotion. Now, here's the thing, whether or not that is because of AEW, awesome. But if they're quietly like creating like a coup to, to start circumventing all these guys into Impact, good for them. Hey man, it uh, I think Impact has had, for all intents and purposes, a pretty fucking good year. I think that, you know, 
I hope that it's Moose that ultimately dethrones Kenny. And and like the roster feels a little small right now, but Josh Alexander in the X division, the X division has been fucking money. And that's okay. Let them have the small division. I don't want to blow the division of guys. Yes. I, no, that's, even, that's fair. Because I don't, that's fair. we don't pay attention to a lot. So especially I'm not going to fucking pay attention to some guys on the outer fringe of impact. Very but, fair. Uh, they got a they got a solid seven from me, and listen, we we're very hard on AEW and WWE. Just keep doing what you're doing. I have no qualms with what the way Impact is doing from no. a production aspect. Yes, I do hope they they get back to normalcy. Um, but on the five year anniversary of Broken Matt Hardy in, in his debut compound match, um, listen. They were the number one storyline in all of wrestling during that summer. Yes, they were. There's yes, no they were. reason why they don't have the ability to do that again. I listen. Will they ever be as as the heights as they were in 2004, 2009? Like with AJ and Samoa Joe and Christopher Daniels and and uh, and and you know Sting coming? No, they will not. But can they be the solid third? Absolutely. And like you said, like let them be. And I'm not saying like they're, you know, they're fucking owned by billionaires. Like everybody's owned by billionaires. It's impossible. They're owned by Anthem, you know. So, but point being, like, let them be what AEW and WWE functionally cannot mm-hmm. be. Their women's division, the knockouts continue to be great. I think they get a seven from me as well. And if I see more like sh- talent sharing between them and New Japan, that's only going to get higher. I hope sl- I'm going to buy Slammiversary. I have become a fan of Impact in this. And is that because of Kenny Omega? Yeah, by and large, it is. He's one of my favorite wrestlers. I pay attention. But there's since then, but since then, Impact has become a promotion I follow because I'm interested in their wrestlers, not in Kenny Omega. And, and that if, I think that says something. And that's what this partnership is serving, then it Absolutely. Worked. And you would not be making that comment a year ago too. So the fact that no. you're saying that, think about how many other people are saying that. So I don't think a, it yeah. They're on a good wave right now. So I, I salute them. I wish the best for impact. I cannot pretend that I have paid any attention to Ring of Honor. I only have so much time in the day, however. We don't, but let, let's uh give us your I, I have seen New Japan, but Damien, since you are the resident expert, why don't you uh, give us your opinion on how New Japan is doing in the last year? Yes, I will talk about New Japan. And real quick, like like I said, from what I understand, Ring of Honor, I do think their quality and their product has been pretty solid throughout the uh, the pandemic. And um, I think it's I should probably check it out more. Uh, a big loser is definitely PWG and all this because I think they ran absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean that, that was just naturally going to happen with the way that because there's two other shows for mouths to feed now. So I think yeah, you know. it's 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 it was going to happen eventually. But yeah, to to go over to to Japan, uh, but stay a little bit in America. Uh, New Japan, right now we've talked about New Japan a lot throughout the pandemic, of course, as we have WWE and AEW. New Japan is a little bit of an interesting situation because there are two fronts you have to talk about. So I won't spend too much time talking about like the Japanese side of things because I do that at length over, but I, I, but I'm going to give new Japan two separate ratings here. I'm going to give it for, for what they've done on the main roster and what they've done with, with the U S expansion. So the Japanese side, right? Uh, not being able to have a Japanese crowd, uh, make noise 
is a huge, huge detriment to that product because it's just so integral to what the product feels like and sounds like and what it's like to watch it or be there. Um, and that's there's no way around that. It suffered for sure. Even when they went back to people being there, you know, stomps and claps, they help for sure. Um, but it's not the same. Although having them only be able to stomp and clap meant that there were certain moments where the Japanese crowd was like, I have to make noise no matter what. Like when Okada finally busts out the Rainmaker, when Shingo Takage hit Last of the Dragons on Okada to pin him for the one, two, three, you know, when Will Ospreay defeated Ibushi, there were moments where the crowd was, they come alive no matter what. And that was like exciting because it was like, ooh, that's not allowed. That's forbidden. It was almost like a fucking slap in the face for them to pull out that and, and script for the match to go that way and then like yeah not have the fans fucking freak out at yeah that. yeah so my my sincere hope is that as their vaccinations rate as their vaccination rates climb and as they try to make the slow climb back to normalcy with the rest of us that we will lift that soon maybe as early as wrestle grand slam uh but we'll you know we'll we'll see either way uh look the main event booking is what it is we we, we talked about that not that long ago um Nothing matters to me because Shingo Takage uh, is champion. So fuck everyone. I don't care. <laughs> All is forgiven. Um, but look, I mean, overall, I think for what New Japan had going on with like not having any of the Gaijin around for as long or not having the f- access to the full roster like they wanted to for as long as they did. Uh, excuse you. Do you not see that I'm busy? She's mad that evil didn't get uh, his his due. Oh, she wanted you. You wanted evil to win, yeah. That makes sense because you're a monster. Go away. <laughs> monster. Monstrous behavior. Fucking evil stands. They're the worst of the bunch. So, but it almost benefited them to not have Gaijin. Is that? Am I being canceled for this? Well, so here's what I will say. Though I think the worst thing that happened was it is probably the reason that like. Shota Umino and uh, Wado did not come back sooner. It's probably the reason why Gabrielle Kidd and uh, Suji and um, uh, Yuya Uemura are still young lions, right? And that sucks for their development. However, I would argue that guys like Suji and Kidd and Uemura being the main young lions there probably benefited because they were asked to do a lot more and they they did a lot more mm-hmm. um and yeah like the, the emphasis on the japanese talent is good because it shouldn't be too gaijin reliant um and look there was some good shit that happened uh all throughout the pandemic techers being the tag champions fucking works um moxley when he's been around has been money uh you know the G1, the New Japan Cups, both being great. Okada finally coming back with the Rainmaker after two years. Like, so whatever. Like I said, like, I, to not go into too much detail with Japan's, um, the Japan side of things, I would give it a solid, I'd give it a solid eight to eight and a half. Now, I know that's real high. I'm probably more leaning seven and a half, eight. If we were going only by booking and storylines, I maybe we would go down to like a seven because it's a lot of repetition. But the match quality is so consistently high that it's a little bit hard for me to rate them lower than that because it's 
it's always must see wrestling. Like if you're a fan. Yeah. You know, I mean, not, not a lot was in, inhibited by the pandemic for them. Cause I feel like they, they like this would have happened one way or another for them. You know what I mean? Um, Osprey becoming champion and then like dropping it. That's a pandemic thing. Like that's something to do well, with like only travel because he was hurt, right? He or- was hurt. Yeah. But like, there were Gaijin issues with travel restrictions yeah. that makes you wonder, like, did that. they maybe not pull a trigger for Jay at some point? Did they? That's true. Does that? And also, I'm not saying that this matters to them, but the pandemic has also largely been responsible for why people like Ibushi or Okada or Naito maybe have not shown up in AEW. Now, I'm not saying that that's a, a given, a foregone conclusion for basically any of them. However, it's hard for me to think that, like, with the Forbidden Door being open, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to think that, like, Ibushi wouldn't have shown up at some point in Kenny's heel reign uh, by this point. But um, I-, I would say that, you know, while there have been issues, like, overall, the repetition is more the issue than anything. And, you know, it's just, it's been tough. It's been a tough break for them. And I hope that as things return to normal, it'll get better. But to switch over to the U.S. side... Um, it's a, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I think that the pandemic turned out to be a huge success for New Japan Strong for the U.S. expansion. Now, let me explain why, because I know that sounds counterintuitive, right? So they ran strong. They've been running strong like weekly now for, I mean, since August and before that they were doing lines mark and other stuff like, so they've been going throughout the pandemic. And, like, Strong has developed its own special reputation in American wrestling for being the strong-style American show that doesn't really exist right now. And there is a lot of talent there. Moxley being the U.S. champion is huge for New Japan. Huge. The only thing that sucked about the pandemic is that you haven't been able to see more on that front. But him being there is a big deal for them. Um... It's what allowed Jeff Cobb to really get himself over. Um, it's uh, there's just really, really fucking good wrestling on New Japan Strong, and New Japan Strong features a lot of independent wrestlers, much like Dark does. But on a like Wheeler Yuta, current IWTV uh, champion, has been on New Japan Strong a lot. Um, people like Carl Fredericks coming back. Uh, Clark Connor is not being a young lion anymore. Uh, Brody King shows up a lot on New Japan Strong. TJP has shown up a lot. Like, there's been a lot of sharing between like Ring of Honor and Impact stuff, and it's resulted in this show that's going to be happening August 14th. That's going to be exclusively for New Japan Strong. That feels like a success to me. Well, um, that we're supposed to be getting an American show, correct? Well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. August 14th, it's at the Torch in L.A. Coliseum well, I, in I Los Angeles. Like a, I don't know if they were still planning to do this, but they want to do an American-based, like, not a weekly episodic television, but like, you know, New Japan U.S. Well, that's what New Japan Strong okay. is. Okay, okay. It, it takes place in the at the L.A. Dojo, and it's been weekly, and it's episodic. It has that. its own champion. It has its own championship now. The strong, the strong open weight championship. All for that, man. If you want one element for them to keep going down the road in the future, just keep doing that. So, like the the sheer amount of talent that's been shared between the independents and Impact and Ring of Honor and New Japan is good for the industry, and it's good for them to have a base in America because 
it is distinctly American. It's a distinctly American product, but it has the lion's mark all over it, which means it's strong style. Mm-hmm. It means you got some King's Road shit in there. It means that it is Piero style, but in America, which is not something that really has existed in a while. It has been for me, like, I don't necessarily catch it every week, but every time I watch it, I'm like, man, you catch at least one episode that's fucking great. And so for me, New Japan as a whole, I probably give it a seven and a half, eight. New Japan's J- Japanese, the main promo, I probably give the same. I would probably give the US expansion an eight to eight and a half. The fact that you have Josh Alexander, current X Division champion, going over fighting Rocky Romero, fighting Young Lions, the fact that you have so much working with the indies and and so much working, like I think it bodes well for their future. And Ryan, I would encourage you to, you know, watch a little bit here and there. You know, it's a lot to follow, but it's short forty five minutes. Uh it's on New Japan's uh it's on uh NJP, you know, New Japan World, but it might also be on YouTube. Either way, I would recommend catching it once in a while. There's like some good shit that happens on it. And overall, I think that New Japan is going into this new era pretty good. And if that, I hope that that August show is successful. New Japan, I want New Japan to be successful. I want the US expansion to work for them. I want the talent sharing to continue. And I want it to fucking come to the East Coast, hopefully soon, especially because it's given the L.A. Dojo Young Lions so much more time and so much more exposure. And you love to see that shit. Carl Fredericks is a guy you're going to want to keep an eye out on. Clark Connors is a guy you're, you're going to want to keep an eye out on. Um, Alex Coughlin is a guy you're going to want to keep an eye out on. It's, it's good shit. It's shit to like. I appreciate it. No, I definitely appreciate that. And I was waiting for that element of their... Uh of their company to happen because they were talking about this as soon as like two years ago to have an American show. And, uh, you know, you have MLW coming out on vice and there's more room. There's definitely more room for wrestling, man. I'm not going to deny that. So, um, I'm excited for that because that could be the true fourth show in America. And, you know, we always, we always just discuss this, how like, you know, you need to have a old NWA type deal where you can house everybody. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly excited for that. For people like Wheeler Yuta, for people like Jeff Cobb, um, instead of them going to AEW or WWE and having them get lost in the shuffle, you know, let them shine here. I agree. I agree. Um, for you, from what you have caught of New Japan, what has worked and what hasn't for you? What's worked for me is that they have been taking chances with people. Now, obviously, that has not worked out in most cases. I thought, you know, if you're going to do something like an evil heel turn to that aspect, you, you, you can't peter out on it after two months, right? Yeah. That was a waste. Fair. So you just kind of like fucked Naito's whole reign for what ended up to be not much. I, I feel that. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like a true sea change for evil because he's just kind of been on the sidelines. And now he's just there. He's yeah, just now he's just there. Like, and I don't know. Whatever. Uh, what has worked for me is obviously our boy Shingo. And whether whether or not, again, that was necessity for the mother of invention, who gives a shit? Like, that, that was cool. That was cool to see. 
I can just picture you over in the uh, in the Japanese stadium, like Shingo winning, and then like you freak out, and then like they have to escort you because you broke the rule yeah. of not stopping and clapping. <laughs> oh, oh God, yes! It's yeah, everyone, stop it! You're embarrassing us. Mm. Uh, yeah, like the 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 lack of crowd hurts. Um, but I also appreciate that they've taken chances because listen, your book's been fucked. Your book's cooked at this point. Take some fucking risks. What else? What else can you do? You can't uncook that book. To paraphrase Travis, Um, but I I think they've done a great job in in terms of you know because they've had a a more rough time over there in some aspects than we have. So yes, I I think that absolutely that's true. I think they got Um, a solid B for me. I'll even go B plus. I think that's fair and like look i i know i'm a homer i know that i i know who i who i am and that's um you know i know i'm being a little high i think some people some people would feel that this is perhaps the worst year that new japan's had in a while and i would understand that um but i think that for everything they've gone through um i think i get it okay i think i i think i get it um, I get it too, and you know, like I said, I, I'm certainly not a knock against them. I'm very excited to see what they do in the future. Um, and like, I, so I don't watch enough of the other um Japan stuff that, and I don't watch as much as I should, and that is my fault. Mm-hmm. And I really need to watch more of it. But Stardom has had, uh, Stardom had like. Like I said, this is a Meltzer rating thing, whether this matters to you or not. But on Cage Match, I think the current highest rated match is in Stardom between Suri and Utami Hayashishida. Um, and that happened June 12th. Five and a half stars, uh, 9.5 rating on Cage Match. Um, a real Joshi classic. Um, I've heard rumblings that DDT and uh, Noah have been pretty good as of late. Noah um, recently had Naomichi Marafuji take the um, GHC belt off of um, off of Keiji Mudo again. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's um, it's not just New Japan and like I, I, my one of my goals is definitely to spend more time watching like current Noah and AJPW and definitely I do want to start watching Stardom and some more Joshi stuff. Um, but Japan wrestling, well, the, you know what? I guess this brings me to my overall point, right? To wrap this very long sprawling segment up that I'm going to have to edit the ever loving shit out of because I'm just rambling and ranting and talking <laughs> ad nauseum. But Ryan, you look at wrestling before the pandemic, you look at wrestling after the pandemic. Let's try for a second to put aside the horrors, the real life horrors of how it's affected everybody, how it's affected wrestlers in the industry itself. But like, let's take a look at the big picture for a second and just where were you before? Where are you now? How do you feel about the state of wrestling in America? We'll say in America specifically, um, we'll stick to what we know. How do you feel about American wrestling as we start entering this new era, this new old era? I think if they really want to, this can be a great sea change for wrestling. And whether or not that's just the internal optimist in me, I think these companies can have an opportunity 
to uh, ring in the new decade of wrestling. Uh, you now have an excuse to push out aside the old tactics, the old things that were holding promotions down. And the one thing I hope for this is that this is a great reset. It's a great reset for a lot of people in lives outside of wrestling and America and around the world. So the one thing that I hope in this aspect is that we usher in a new era for wrestling, honestly, and throw everything out the window, uh, and take the chances on, on work and individuals, and, you know, that, that's the one thing I hope for, and that's the one thing I think anybody else can hope for. So, um, I'm excited. I, uh, I also share an optimist's view of all of this. I think that of all the industries that have suffered, you know, you can say specifically sports, because like I said, we're going to limit this to our narrow scope, because if we're talking about what COVID did to the world and industries as a whole, like it's a fucking disaster if professional wrestling is bullshit, who cares? But like to stick to what the purpose of this podcast is, of all the sports industries that have gone through this, professional wrestling is the one that I was like, I don't fucking know how this works. Without mm-hmm. live crowds, with how many mouths there are to feed, like I don't know what the fuck happens here. And you had a couple of things pop up, right? You had AW for all of its faults and flaws, right? AW ran dark consistently and ran dynamite consistently and gave a lot of spotlight to a lot of guys on the indies and got them some paychecks and got them on live TV on national TV. And that matters. And they didn't make any huge cuts. Uh, New Japan paid all of their talent throughout the pandemic regardless of whether they were working or not and that counts wwe did not do that and that counts but like you wonder about like your indies your creative pros your beyonds your progress your your independence in general uh your ring of honors and impacts like what's gonna happen to them and you know what we came out the other side and i a little bit feel in a lot of ways wrestling is stronger than it has been in a very long time. The talent sharing between Japan and here and Mexico, uh, you know, look, it's it's always there somewhere. But this really does feel like a little bit of a new frontier where you're like, boy, I a little bit don't know who I might expect to show up. Because to this point, sure, you've gotten Yuji Nagata and Satoshi Kojima and Finn Juice and Kenta, and that's a big deal. But, like, I legitimately think there's a chance on an AEW show, like, fuck, man, like, Okada could show up at some point. I don't really know. Yeah. Right. You hear talks about New Japan and WWE working together and then you see Josh Alexander go to New Japan strong and you're like, fuck, man, I don't I don't know. Maybe like maybe I could see Moxley showing up on Impact somewhere. Maybe I could see Moxley showing back up in Japan and being in a G1. Like maybe I could see fucking, you know, you you really don't know a little bit who's going to show up where. And that is something that wrestling has missed for a long time. Uh, I think that Impact has had a resurgence. I think that Ring of Honor is having a resurgence right now. I think that New Japan's U.S. expansion is going pretty well. I think that WWE, it doesn't matter whether wrestling's doing bad or good because they're a little bit immune to all of that, by and large, at this point. But, like, options. Options. That's what matters. If you are a wrestling fan, you have never had so much available to you. Mm -hmm. And we both know people work in the indies and they're 
making money again. They're working. They're paying their bills with this shit. It's a pretty good time for the industry. I am hopeful that we will see some real exciting shit happen. Hopefully, assuming that there is no catastrophe ahead of us aside from, you know, global climate change and politics and a mutation or a new pandemic or nuclear apocalypse or anything like that. Um, yeah, I think that there's good things in the works here. And uh, I just can't believe we made it out on the other side-ish, you know? It's just, what a fucking, what a year. Let's never do it again. Let's never drink again. Oh, I'll be drinking. <laughs> let's never, let's, let's never do this ever again. <laughs> uh, and so as we begin to wrap up this this uh, expansive mess we've made here. Something that we did not do last week for reasons I don't understand why, because we just just pretended it wasn't a thing, is, of course, the Legend Killer. And Ryan has sent me a picture, have you not? Yeah, you take a look, you son of a bitch. Who well, is it? Who I got, is it? <laughs> I got good news. Nothing immediately comes to mind. Okay. So I'll start with a couple of questions. All right. Is this picture from the 60s or 70s? No. Earlier? Uh, later. It's, it's later. Probably late 80s. This late 80s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is this a person currently working? No. Is this person alive? Yes. Okay. Has this person worked recently? No. No. And did this person primarily get over in North America, Mexico, or Japan? North America. Well, I said North America and then said Mexico. I'm doing that a lot lately. Uh, America. All right. Let's let's zoom in here. Well, there's a good start for Ryan, all right? I'm going to need a hint here. He was never a heavyweight champion. Should he have been? No, not really. But he was a, he was a notable worker. And what promotion did he get over in? Mm. That's too much of a giveaway. Okay. <sighs> this would be your last clue. You want that to be your last clue? No, you can give me a different one. He got over in two promotions. Mainly more so on the first promotion. Okay. And this picture is from the late 80s. And this is like at least five years before he became a big deal. Yes. Well, I guess I'll... St- eh, I don't know, it doesn't really look like him, but like... Eddie? No. Okay. Am I anywhere on the right track with that? No. Okay, I didn't think so. He is a Caucasian male. Give me, t- give me two more guesses. All right. I'm going to have to just take some stabs in the dark here. Give me two stabs. Okay. Let's do a silly one. Big show? Nope. Very good. Yeah, he's too short for that. And, uh... Eh, fuck. I don't know. Um, uh, uh, I don't know. Whatever. Goldberg. No. This is Al Snow. Oh, I would have never gotten that. Yeah, I know. I know. I know you would never gotten it now. That's funny. I wouldn't, I, you know, I thought maybe if you closed up on the face. See, if I said ECW and WWF, would you have gotten that? Would you have, no. would, would he have come into your realm of thought? I don't think Al Snow would have ever shown up anywhere on my radar, okay, that's fine. honestly. You may have been a little too young for Al Snow, but, you know. Uh, Al Snow, noted worker, he was actually part of the new Rockers uh, when uh-huh. Marty Jannetty left. He had a couple other promotions. Uh, he had a couple other characters, but his main character work obviously was when he was in 
ECW as the unhinged lunatic, and he carried around Head, which was a mannequin that spoke to him. And uh, Paul Heyman, ever so famously, in the bingo hall in Philadelphia, there was a uh, woman's fashion outlet down the road from him, and he paid to get like 50,000 styrofoam heads to be ordered to the bingo hall, and he passed it around to everybody, and thus Head was born. Um, Al Snow, great, great worker in WWF afterwards. It was a part of the job squad, just like a solid B, B rate guy. He never got above that, but you know, one of the more memorable 90 jobbers, I would say. This is 100% Ryan just getting back at me. (laughs) (laughs) No, if you you truly got this, I would have fucking flipped out. This is 100% Ryan being like, I know what this fucking dude pays attention to. He's not getting this shit. And I'm going to embarrass him. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only reason I guessed Eddie is because, like, I saw the mustache no, and I was, like, trying to look yeah, at the hair and I was, like... It looks like him. And that's why I had to distinguish that he was he was Black Caucasian. and white. Yeah. All right. Well, yep. there you go. There's your... You, you get your... Uh, you get your gimmick back, Ryan. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Um. So, to wrap up, what have we been listening to? Uh, I've been listening to Machine Girl. And Machine Girl is an outfit from Brooklyn, New York. And uh, they really fuck around with a lot of genres. They're a very genre-bending band. Um, you know, like, they have the digital, as- the digital aspect of them. They have the hardcore aspect of them. They have rave el- elements to them. Um, just picture, like, Code Orange meets uh, Death Grips. Okay. And, Interesting. Uh, I've always enjoyed them. I'm glad they're going to be playing with Code Orange on their comeback show uh, in September in Pittsburgh, along with Dying Fetus. And uh, the drummer, Sean Kelly, is a dear friend from high school. So uh, very excited for them because they were supposed to go on. They were supposed to go on Code. Uh, sorry, they were supposed to go on tour with Code Orange before everything happened. So I'm glad to see them get this opportunity again. And for them to keep rising to the top. All right, very nice. Um, Ryan, a popular knows all the all the cool kids these days. Yeah, huh? Everybody grew up to be somebody. <laughs> um, I guess I will make my shout out. Uh, I'm going to give it to the album "Spin" by Tiger's Jaw. Um, they're a band that I used to make fun of a lot in high school because you know they were part of that like. New wave, emo, pop punk scene. Yeah. You know, their first album is like just a big old pie of pizza. And it's like, why are you such tropes of yourself? Uh, but I fucking love this album. Like the song June is beautiful. Um, just like if you're looking for some sad kind of driving synth heavy music, um, I'm a, it's uh, it's one that I'm I'm a big fan of. And I'll give the other one to... I'll give it to uh, an album that really brought me back to my youth, back to my my high school uh, slam 40s of Budweiser on a beach in the middle of the night days and go the seminal 1994 album Trashed by Lagwagon. Just peak California skate punk uh, 94, the year that punk went bust, uh, or really the year that punk went big. Uh, You know, it's when... Dookie and and out come the wolves came out and uh, Punk and Drublick and all these just incredible albums and just 
Uh, Joey Cape really sounding as strong as he ever has on that album. Um, is May incredible. 16th on that? May 16th is not on that one. That, I believe, is on Let's Talk About Feelings, I think. Yeah, sure, correct. Which is, I think, the album that came right after it. Yeah. Uh, or it actually, it came out, it came a while after it. That's the 1998 album, yeah. But let's talk about Feelings. But that's who Lagwagon is. Um, so nice. I'll give a shout out to those. A little bit of sad, a little bit of speed. Cool. And uh, I think that's what we got for the folks today. Um, don't worry. Uh, it won't be as lengthy as what we are currently seeing here because Papa's <laughs> going to do a real chop job on this one. Uh, but just wanted to take a little retrospective and look back at this weird fucking time we find ourselves in. And, uh, you know, the world is misery. Everything's on fire. We're all dying soon. So we may as well look back and laugh. Right what it's all about um so like i said upcoming we got a lot happening the next time we talk to folks will be after aw's been back on the road for a while be after money in a bank after slammiversary and we'll have plenty to talk about um so until then for ryan for mercury and for myself, <laughs> this has been the most electrifying must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. This has been F F C. Nice.